Children's Church. We'll meet today with David Fry. Title of the sermon today is True Justice. True Justice. Particularly in our community these days and increasingly as the days go ahead, we're going to be hearing a lot about justice. And it's a it's a word that can be and is often easily misunderstood and manipulated for private agendas. Um, in our community, we've had people from outside coming in, um, lambasting what took place here. They don't live here. They're not a part. They have their say, get their name in the paper, and then they go home. They come and they stir up uh, dissatisfaction in a, in a community that's trying to come together in unity. And there are people who do this for... Um, their own ideas and their own, they want to be seen to be here. Uh, they're not helping, and they're not going to help, but they want to be seen to have been here. And they use these words a lot, justice. Um, so I want to talk about it this morning. What do you mean when you mean when you use the word justice? Uh, justice by whose standard? So if you're going to use a word like justice, then you're going to have to start defining your terms. Um, in 1 John, it tells us two things about God. It says, first of all, that God is light. And so what does that light reveal? Usually we think about light as truth and righteousness. Justice would be included in there. The second thing that it tells us is that God is love. And the two are not incompatible. And in justice, if it's going to be the right way, it has to be the justice of God. Now, as we think about uh, all of our values, uh, the goodness, light, love, justice, truth, these things are not descriptions of God. They are things that are attributes of God. But God is the one who defines every one of these terms for us. Um, God tells us what real love looks like, and he shows it to us through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, laying down his life for someone else. If you're not willing to lay down your life for the other person, um, there's a question about the quality of your love. And so God is the one who defines these things for us. When we talk about justice, we need to make sure that it's God's definition and not man's. Um, left according to people, justice like the other values that we talk about in our lives become rather fluid. And so when you talk about justice, this is going to imply a standard by which it's measured. That requires an absolute that does not change according to circumstances or desires and shows no favoritism. And so with that in mind, uh, the scriptures has a, a very lot to say about it. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of things, may surprise you. Um, all, even linguistically, Old Testament and New Testament, the concepts of justice is always linked 
with righteousness. And as we talk about it in our community in the days and weeks and months ahead, we need to keep this in mind. From a biblical viewpoint, justice is always associated with righteousness. So I want to read two passages of Scripture, one in Exodus and one in Leviticus. The Exodus one is Exodus 23, the first three verses. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. And he gets even more detailed in Leviticus chapter 19. And I hope that you'll take time later on to read these two passages in Exodus and Leviticus 19. Because that's the basis, the foundation on biblical justice. Leviticus 19, be reading verses 15 to 18, and listen carefully to what he's saying. This is 1500 B.C. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Motivation beyond all, behind all of this is the power, the authority, the sovereignty of God. And so because we worship God, if we're walking in Him, then justice becomes a characteristic of our lifestyle. And so he's telling us here, he's speaking to our community in these words, telling us not to hate one another, not to, be, not to buy into the rumors and innuendos of people who do not know. And we've got a lot of that in it, in the press, in the media, uh, on all the, the IT stuff that goes around that people do. People give their opinion and they don't, you know, people that weren't even here, people that don't even live here, tell us what happened here. Uh, and so he's telling us, don't pay attention to that and don't buy into it until you know the truth. And so it, it's the righteousness is associated with justice. And these two are very, very different things. And I wondered what has happened in our country to where, how is it that we've gotten to the place that we equate justice with money? How is it that we've got that place as a people, as a nation? So someone has hurt you, so what do you do? You try to take all their money. Well, that's not going to help. Money doesn't make up for the loss of a child. It doesn't fill up the emptiness that's there. There's no amount of money that you could do that would minister to the real needs, the real wounds that are in the hearts and souls of people. And people come for their own agenda, um, again, making names and making money because that's the name of the game. But it does not minister to the real needs of the individual or the community. We're going to have to look somewhere else. Now, the, the 
difficulty is that we've become confused in our country. There is a difference, a very strong and deep difference between justice and vengeance. Now, repeatedly throughout the scripture, I've got a whole long list of texts if you want them, Old and New Testaments. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God. Justice, he has entrusted to us. So justice, what does that mean? That means holding people accountable and responsible for what was done or not done. That's what justice is, holding people accountable and responsible for what was done or not. Has nothing to do with character assassination, has nothing to do with the value of the individual. We're talking about truth. And though justice is part of what we are entrusted to take care of, but we need to do it along these guidelines impartially. And if we're going to have justice for one, then we need to have justice for everybody. So, you know, we can condemn people who made bad decisions. But what about the relationships in the home before this ever happened? What was the relationship between the parents and the children before this ever happened? Um, so we have an idea, we romanticize and we build up and make things better than what they really were oftentimes. But in the truth, we know deep within the heart. Sometimes there's a guilt that comes along because we know that the relationships were not right. And some of them were. Some of them were good, strong, solid families. And we got a lot of them here. And we thank God for them. But let's don't, let's don't minimize the loss and the grief by making it something that, out of a fantasy. So justice deals with truth. And truth deals with relationships within the home, within the family, within the community. There are groups that have come in here to do one thing, and that's to divide and to create problems. We don't have to listen to them. This is what Leviticus and Exodus are telling us. It says, don't, don't buy into that. Um, we look to God in his righteousness for a true assessment and a true judgment. Vengeance belongs to God. Justice has to do with truth. Vengeance has to do with trying to make someone else pay. So what we do is we convince ourselves that if we hurt that person, it'll make our hurt go away, and it does not. It does not. I can hurt that person. Um, it still doesn't fill the emptiness within my heart, within my soul. So if we allow that vengeance mentality to take over, uh, to create a problem where there has been none, to in a time when we need to be pulling together to divide us, if we allow that to happen and the bitterness sets in, then the damage that was done is compounded and the deaths that have occurred will be increased because we will be dying inside when we look at one another and we respond in that way. And the perpetrator has won because now he's gotten into your heart and mine, into our homes, into our communities, affected how we look at one another. The justice of God comes and says there is an accountability, there is a responsibility, and that will be answered. But the healing comes when we get to the place where we can look to God and say, God, I trust you to bring the healing and the wholeness because that's the only place it's going to come. In Amos chapter 5, 
Amos is called the prophet of social justice. He's a good book to be reading in this day. Amos, and I want to look at um, chapter 5, verse 24 first. It says, Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Because justice comes down from God. And he's praying that God would bring just justice. And again, notice that he links this justice of God with righteousness. In chapter 7 of, I'm sorry, verse 7 of chapter 5, same book. He talks about, um, let's back up to verse 6. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for, for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. When we give way to a vengeance mentality and we start looking to hurt somebody else because we've been hurt, this is what happens. Justice is turned to worm, wormwood. Wormwood means bitterness. It's turned to bitterness, and righteousness is not any part of that. Later on in chapter 6 of Amos, verse 12, he says, Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? You plow up a bunch of rocks with oxen. But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. So it's a kind of thing about if we turn justice into bitterness, making it a tool to um, just dump all the junk that's inside us on others, then we've already been defeated. There is no justice. There is no righteousness. Vengeance, once it starts, it never stops. It begins to multiply and it grows. Justice brings an end and it brings closure. So they're asking today the, the words that they asked in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17. Where is the God of justice? And the answer is, he's here with us. The basis of all of this in chapter Leviticus chapter 19, just to go back there briefly, And I read verses 15 through 18. And the 18th verse, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, because God is the Lord. Just before that, he's talked about not hating our brother in our heart. And that's where the real issues are, the real issues. Um, do we want to impose pain on someone else, or do we want the truth to be known? So we need to be careful who we're listening to. What happens when we don't? Well, we've seen Amos talking about it. In Isaiah chapter 28... Verse 16 and 17, God says he's going to pass through and he's going to make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. 
So God's justice and righteousness is what he's measuring. What's he measuring? He's measuring your heart and mine. He's measuring what's taking place in our community. He's taking place, what's taking place in our churches, um, how we're dealing with one another. That's what he's measuring. In chapter 30, verse 18, he tells us that God is the God of justice. And the Lord says, I will set my justice as a light to the peoples. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, these are verses that many of us are familiar with. And he's talking about um, what kind of an offering or sacrifice is God pleased with. And even mentions, shall we offer up our children for our own sin? And he says, no. And verse 8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God is looking for in our hearts and in our community. Again, Isaiah talks about what happens when that doesn't take place in Isaiah chapter 59. says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch the adders as a snake eggs. They weave spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are iniquity. Deeds of violence are in their hands. Feet run to, to evil and are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked no one who treads on them knows peace. And so he's talking about justice in the land, and he's talking about righteousness, and it begins in our relationship with God, and it filters down in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own homes, in our communities. And so he's talking about these kinds of things. And he says, therefore, because the heart is not right, and we're looking at hurting and vengeance and divisiveness and stirring things up. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. When that happens, we hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like a blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. 
And so he says that's what happens when we don't have justice according to the absolute standards set forth by God. In verses 14 and 15, he continues, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So when we give ourselves to this kind of divisiveness within the community, when we give ourselves over to the fear and intimidation, um, fear is a source of anger and it's a source of vengeance. And so that's, that's where it begins. Addie read a while ago about perfect love casting out fear. And so it's the kind of thing about we need to understand the mercy, the grace, the love of God. And the good news in Isaiah 59 is when that took place, God stepped in and said, because that's there, I'm looking for someone to help. And because justice has turned back, God is going to intervene. And so we are praying for God to intervene within our hearts and within our lives. God says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. This is 59, 16, uh, 21. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or go out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forever. So when the word of God comes within us and we allow that to enter into us and to set things right within our own heart, to adjust our attitudes to the standard that God has set, then there can be true justice, accountability, responsibility. There can be true closure, and the community can get on with a long process of healing and restoration. I like what um, it says about Jesus in John chapter 7. Now, these were words that were bandied about in Jesus' day as well. You know, Jesus was persecuted and condemned in the name of justice. Um, so in chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus is challenging the leaders of his day, do not judge by appearances, but judge by with righteous judgment. Now the thing about, about the Lord, again, we can go back to Isaiah chapter 11, and he's talking about the Messiah, he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about this kind of judgment which Jesus brings. We're looking at chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. This is part of the passage that Jesus read in Nazareth, his hometown, on the synagogue. And it's after he read this, he sat down and he said, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. But what it says in verse 3, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what, he see, what his eye sees, or 
or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And so he's telling us that he's not going to judge by what his eye sees or decide on based on what his ears hear, but he will judge a righteous judgment according to the truth. And so that's the goal. That's the thing about looking to the righteousness of God so that the true justice can be known and experienced in our community. In John chapter 8, verse 7, In the issue with um, the woman caught in the very act of adultery, um, this was a biased group. According to the Old Testament law, both the man and the woman would be punishable by death to be caught in the very act of adultery. Now they caught this couple in the act of adultery and they're bringing her to Jesus for condemnation and judgment. But they only brought the woman so their prejudices and their biases are already evident. So they're bringing this woman and they're wanting Jesus to pronounce judgment to condemn her publicly. And once he gives the word, they will gather the stones and kill her. And so they brought him. It's a test, a, a trap for Jesus. And they said, we've caught this woman in adultery in the very act. Law says to kill her. What do you say? Jesus says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So what was being revealed in this act was the state of those people's heart. When we come to a, a condemn and accuse other people, when we want vengeance, we're taking the place of God. We're saying, number one, I know the truth. Number two, I am prosecutor, I am judge, I am jury, and I've already made up my mind. Which means that you're playing God. Now what Jesus tells us is, okay, if you're going to do that, you yourself will be judged by the very same standard that you're judging others. And what's going to be revealed is what's going on in your heart and your life. You know, driving down the road, um, people with signs and banners and stuff, out of their grief, out of their fear, out of their anger, out of the bitterness of their loss, um, making strong accusations about things they did not know based on hearsay, innuendos, uh, uh, what's going on in the heart? What is the basis of your standard of judgment? Tish Harrison was here partly during this time. And one of the things that she writes is this. It's important. I can get caught up in big ideas of justice and truth and neglect the small opportunities around me to extend kindness, forgiveness, and grace. And so 
when we take advantage of those small opportunities around us, this is where healing begins. The small opportunities around us. Most of us aren't going to be involved in the, the legal battles that take place. Uh, most of us aren't going to be sitting on the juries or anything like that. But we do have countless opportunities to show kindness, forgiveness, and grace and to bring healing in our community. And we're going to be either part of the problem or part of the solution. We all are by our responses and by our attitudes. And so if we're talking about the justice of God, remind us of what he says in Leviticus 19. We're not supposed to hate we're not supposed to engage in slander. We're not supposed to manipulate judgment and justice for our own private agendas. We're to give grace to God to be the one who executes justice. There is to be indeed an accountability and a responsibility taken and a, a closure that takes place. But if the heart hasn't changed, doesn't matter what the court decision is, it won't heal our community. No matter what the outcome is, if the hearts do not change, it will make no difference between people. And so the appeal is to God. So as we come to communion today, I want us to look at Luke chapter 10. Talked about it uh, Wednesday night, partly in our Bible study on parables. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm not going to read all that because most of us are familiar um, with the parable of the Good Samaritan. What I want us to focus in on this morning is the context and the dynamic of what's taking place uh, during the telling of this parable. So I want us to look at verse 25. He's setting the stage. This is why the parable was told. Behold, a lawyer. This is, a, this is not a um, civil lawyer. This is a lawyer who's an expert in the law of God. He's a, he's a Bible scholar. He stood up to put Jesus to the test. Okay, This is his motivation. Uh, Luke is telling us why he's raising this question. This is a public meeting. Lots of people are there. So the lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a test. He's trying to put Jesus in an awkward position publicly. Jesus turns it back on him. And he says, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now he's on firm ground. He's the lawyer. He knows the scriptures very well. They say that a good, um, a good biblical person in the Old Testament, these scribes and lawyers, they used to have the, uh, the Bible was written on scrolls, parchment, and they would roll them up. And so when you would read, you would unroll the thing. They say that a good scholar, you could roll that up into a, um, a roll. You could take a pen knife and you could stab the pen knife through that scroll and they said a good biblical scholar would tell you every letter in that scroll that the knife pierced. Now that's the legend. I don't know if they knew it that well. But they did know it backwards and forwards. And so Jesus said, okay, uh, how do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, 
and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice what happened. There's a shift. He comes in verse 25. He's coming up to test Jesus. Now look what happens in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself. Now he is the one being tested. And look at the conclusion. After Jesus tells the story about the rich man, he's beaten, robbed, stripped of his clothing, left wounded and dying, naked on the side of the road. Priest comes by and sees him. I can't get involved. Walks around on the other side. Levite, one of the guys who ministers in the temple itself, comes by and sees him. Same thing goes around. Now, a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans, they have a history with the Jews. They're related. But the Samaritans are considered half-breeds, people who've compromised their nationality, their heritage, their faith, their walk with God. Of course, the Samaritans have a different uh, deal. And there is long history of animosity and hatred back and forth. And so Jesus says, what about your prejudices, lawyer? Because the lawyer had asked, who's my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. And Jesus tells the parable. Now the Samaritan comes. He sees this Jew laying over there. He has compassion. He stops. He puts medication on all of his wounds. Binds him up. Puts him on his own donkey. Takes him back to the hotel. Tells the proprietor. Gives him money. Says, take care of his needs. I've got to go in for, for business. I'll be back. Here's the amount of money. If it costs more, I will pay it all. Then Jesus looks at the lawyer now. And again, the question, the lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now Jesus turns it back on him. Who was the neighbor to the man who had fallen among the thieves? And notice his answer. He doesn't say the Samaritan. <laughs> I think that's an indication of the strength of the prejudices that he has. He says, oh, it's the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So from being the one testing Jesus to trying to justify himself and being challenged to answer his own questions for himself, he was brought face to face with his own deep-seated prejudices and directed to examine his own life and motives. I think in the days ahead, uh, this is going to be taking place in our community. A lot of people coming. A lot of people asking questions. A lot of people wanting to justify themselves. And God's going to turn it right back. You think you're putting someone else to the test? You're the one being tested. Your motives, your prejudices, your fears, your guilt, your sorrow, that's what's being put to the test here. And so he says, the law hasn't changed. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you do that, he imparts grace and mercy to be able to love our neighbors as ourselves. Still means that there is an accountability, there is a reckoning, there is a responsibility to be taken, but it needs to be done 
in justice and in righteousness, guarding our own hearts, lest we incur sin from someone else. And so he invites us to come to meet the Lord here at this table, to lay our fears, our prejudices, our sorrows and griefs here at the foot of the cross. That's the justice of God seen in Jesus Christ taking your place and my place. Let's pray. O God of justice, we pray that you would shine forth in your righteousness and holiness. And as we draw close to you, Father, I pray that this would be a time for your spirit to search our hearts, our motivation, and lead us to the truth. Only in coming to the truth of who you are can we truly be set free. So give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to be able to discern the motivation behind what people are doing and saying. And we pray, Lord, that with righteousness and justice, you will bring peace to our community, a peace that only you can give, and a peace that once you give can never be taken away. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our church, we have... Open